are listening to Rogue Table Talks. Here's Mike. Hello again. We are back. Rogue Table Talks, uh, number 126. I think that's the number. I don't have it for me. 126. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is 126. 126. Uh, we are here for you 126 times and then plus however many more of these we do. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, it is fall is falling, it seems. Uh, it'll be a cool, crisp day here in the, it's chilly, yeah. in the greater St. Louis area, but nice and sunny and kind of the kind of weather that uh, still there's still flowers in pots around the house and they haven't been frozen out yet. Uh, but it's getting cooler. You can kind of feel the you know, the winter coming. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where we are. The, something is ending and something is beginning. And, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a lovely time. Um, how are you doing? How's good. the fam? It's all good? Yeah, fam's doing well. We had a, a night with no activities last night. So we uh, went over to the good old St. Louis Emo's, had some Emo's pizza and watched a little go. bit of the... Major League Championships, Dodgers and Braves, and just kind of relax. It was nice. Fun. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah. Fun times with the fam. Um, we are uh, talking uh, about the book of Galatians and the gospel and all of that. We've been doing that for a number of weeks and uh, kind of wanted to dive into Galatians 4. Uh, and there's a few things that I just kind of interest me in this passage. Uh, obviously, we've been talking about the gospel and transformation of the gospel and so on. And so some of that will be expanded on. But there's a couple of new things in this passage that I think are interesting. Uh, that would be good for us to talk about and explore together. Mm-hmm. Um, passage uh, is Galatians 4. I'm going to start in verse 3 and just go all the way to verse 20 because Paul is... Uh, really just kind of pouring out his heart to these Galatians um, related to, you know, their, their original reception of the gospel and all of the, all of the stuff that's happened since uh, in some of them. So Galatians 4, starting in verse 3, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. 
It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So the context of this whole passage is, you know, Paul went there. Uh, you know, he says it's because of an ailment, and that's the original you know, occasion of his being in, in Galatia. And they received the gospel with joy, and they loved him. And, you know, they uh, they adopted the gospel message, and everything seemed wonderful, and he's perplexed because they, they appear to be going back on it. Um, and there's a few things in there that I think are worth talking about. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, they stick out probably as things worth talking about, but also I think that, you know, they, I think they have practical import for us. Um, I think the first part is this elementary principles or depending on your translation, elementary spirits mm -hmm. that formerly we were enslaved to the elementary principles or spirits of the world. Uh, but when Christ came to be, to redeem us, we were set free and we were adopted in the family of God. Uh, and then later, you know, why do you want to turn back again to these weak and worthless elementary principles or spirits whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons of years. And so, you know, what is, what is, what is he talking about there? Uh, what is Paul talking about when he says elementary principles or elementary spirits of the world on the one hand to the son or daughter of God on the other hand? What do you think? Yeah, uh, well, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I think there's another passage in Galatians then we may get there, but it, uh, or it may have been previously the elementary spirits of the world do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Yes. Um, he quoted, quotes someone there. Um, but I think so specifically, I'm not sure, but generally I think we can say when he says you observe days and months and seasons and years, there is, a form of religion that is really more like a magic formula and it is if I can do these certain things with these certain rituals at these certain times as some type of guarantee that God or the gods will provide for me, take care of me and my family, we won't have a sickness, we won't have any ailments, we won't die or the harvest will come in we won't be set back and there's an element of certainty in there and but that's that's the kind of the backdrop of the whole old testament um what was counter-cultural between yahweh and the ancient near eastern gods is you had to you know quote unquote feed the gods with your sacrifices to make sure that uh you lived a flourishing life and yahweh counters that with no i sacrifice um on your behalf you know i provide this is what the the ram in the thicket mm -hmm. with abraham and so i think just in general there's something to be said there if if that's the spirit of religion and i don't i don't mean that there's no religion uh within christianity i'm just meaning the worst case the bad part of religion um then yeah we're all there's something in our heart that longs for the guarantee and the certainty and the safety and security. And we try to go through our routines and our rituals to ensure that that happens. But that's really a slavery mm -hmm. is one of the things I think Paul is saying, um, because we have to quote unquote feed God or the gods so that we are taken care of. 
Mm. Yeah, and I think so. In the, the passage you're referring to is in, in Colossians 2. Okay, um, Colossians. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual, this is verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Hmm. Uh, and I, and I, I, I love that passage because, you know, obviously it bears directly on this passage in Galatians, and the same sort of thing is happening. Paul had been there, preached the gospel, there had been new life and growth, and then after he left, some people came the Judaizers and say, oh, that's great, but you also still have to uh, keep the law. And it's this sense of all these rules you want to return to. There's some attraction, as you said, in returning to those. Certainty, control, uh, you know, it seems too good to be true that I don't have to do this, so on and so on. Um, But, you know, as Paul says in Colossians, those rules lack any value, any power, any they don't have any ability to transform you. The rules yeah. the rules can't keep you from breaking the rules. In fact, uh, as he says uh, elsewhere in his writings, the rules sort of invite rule breaking. It's the nature of rules in our fallen our fallen state. And uh, so, that's okay. So that's this idea of a more primitive religion where we do stuff to appease the gods. Um, is you know that's what he's talking about. We were enslaved to that, and we've been set free from that. We've been adopted in the family because the you know the Christ came to appease you know the triune God. Um, and you know why do we? Why do we want to return to that? It's it seems to me in the you know in the salvific story of the Old Testament, the Exodus, the same thing happens. At, they they are miraculously set free from slavery from Egypt, and all the you know all of the you know the plagues, and you know what could never have happened. Pharaoh lets them go. Uh, they're on the shore of the Red Sea. They hear that Pharaoh's on his way there, and they're like, "Can't we go back? You know, um, you know, we're gonna die here. You you brought us out here to die. They're in the desert. At least in Egypt, we had onions. You know, <laughs> when the, when the food comes, and there's this sense of, can't we just go back to a world that it might not have been good, actually, but it was simple, or or I understood it." Or I felt like I was more in control. I mean, what do you think goes on there, and 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 why do why is that in us? Do you think that sense of yeah. let's go back? Oh, it's fascinating. I mean, and, and in one sense, I've lived it a couple of times recently with just moving, and in moving, you experience this transition of loss and finality and then newness and i think that transition 
transition is always difficult, but major transitions are incredibly destabilizing. So if you can imagine for generations, people grew up in Egypt and they just, they didn't know what it was to be free. They were born mm -hmm. slaves, so they got used to it mm -hmm. um, and adapted inside of that. And then here's this transition into you don't live there anymore. It's not your identity. It's not your home. We're not going back. Like there was a safety and security in being provided for because Egypt was wealthy. Mm -hmm. So it may have sucked, but at least we know we're getting paid and, right. and we got food and right. um, whatever. And so I think transition into the future, into the, the new is always incredibly, incredibly destabilizing. And so then you look back and you tend to idealize the past. Well, at least we had, you know, whatever they said. And at least we had leeks and onions and food and we ate meat out of pots. And at least we had this and at least we had that. And they fail to also say, but, you know, <laughs> our lifespan was short because we worked seven right. days a week or, or we got beat when we stepped out of line. And, right. Um. So I think there's always that temptation, but really to me, it's about comfort. Uh, and that may not be true for everyone, but it's about comfort in the known. Like you knew what was expected. You knew how to live in that place, but now you're being invited into new birth and new birth. It's the labor pains. It's painful. You're trying to make a new place for yourself. And, and the temptation is to go back into, you know, even think culturally, you know, some Christians are fighting. We've got to go back. I, I don't know. I don't hear that a lot too much anymore. I think maybe people have recognized the score, but in the past three to four years, we have to go back as a nation. We have to go back to the good old days or back to when Judeo-Christian values were at the center. And I'm not saying that there's not an element that was good in the country at that time because it wasn't all bad. But it wasn't it wasn't all good either. That's the past. We tend I think we tend to look back and be like, oh, remember that the mm. good old days. Mm -hmm. But when you if you realize what you're living right now is the present soon to be the past, you probably don't think these right now are the good old days. Sure. Because yeah. the present's always somewhat disappointing. Yeah. And so the past is somewhat disappointing. You just tend to idealize it because it's comfortable and known. So I think there's part of that going on in this, you know transition of this is new and i love rules and security and certainty and i don't know how to live in this place yeah i mean it's yeah there's a lot there's a lot there in what you said i think that uh you know we could respond to and talk about because it's really it's really true and that's a phenomenon that when you look back at the past you tend to look back from an uncertain present and an uncertain future and think i wish things were more certain and and stable and in a sense i think that's that's the heart of much of legalism is you know i'm longing for some certainty where i know i can control where i stand i'm going to keep these rules i'll know who the good people are and you know all the nuance and all the uh shade of meaning that is is in the real world we're scared of that and i think also you said going forward in this journey of transformation is uncertain you you know you're going to have to change that's that's the very nature of transformation that's what the word means you know we talk about you know you know one of we want to participate in transformation and 
the transformation of others. It's part of what we talk about at the vision of, of our church. And, and that, you know, in, you know, in a vision statement, it sounds great. In real life, what it means is I have to change. And that's not comfortable. It's not comfortable at all. It means I have to look honestly at myself and I have to die to things and I have to deny myself and pick up my, and all those things, all of that in a way is, it's harder than an imagined legalism. Uh, and, but the legalism actually can't do anything. It, it can't lead me to a life of transformation. It can't set me free. It can't adopt me into God's family. It's powerless. Uh, and, and so it's, it is an illusion of something that, that seems pleasant to us for a moment, but it will only, you know, only lead to despair. And that's, that's what he says, you know, in the middle of that passage, you know, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's, you know, we're enslaved to these rules. It's enslaved to these elemental principles or spirits. Uh, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And that, that, you know, that is exactly what the people of Israel said. I want to go back and be slaves. Um, and so what I want to talk about is composed or compared to trying to follow these principles which enslaving in this part of that passage paul contrasts that with now that you have come to know god or rather to be known by god like that's on one side and the other side of the, are these elementary principles um so what do you think of that sort of where he's comparing legalism following the rules all of that with knowing god or rather being known by God. Um, I don't exactly know what he meant. I think there's a lot there that, that we can think about. Like you can do one or you can do the other. You know, this is, this is the yeah. road, the transformation. This is your own journey to make yourself feel better or something. Like that's kind of what I'm getting. What do you think? Yeah, I, and I, it's a, I think there's a lot there too. I, uh, let me start... I don't know if these answers are connected, but I've been tending to use this language lately, um, just in the conversations of leadership. And, and I think even in this conversation here, I'm preaching on Mark 7 this coming weekend, which fits nicely as a, as a real-life example when the Pharisees uh, clean their hands ceremonially and then they criticize Jesus' disciples because they're not ceremonially clean with their hands and then they eat and then their, their hands are defiled. And Jesus just quotes Isaiah and says, you're, you guys are hypocrites. Um, and, and so these fit to me hand in glove, but this language of, if you, if you can get the right diagnosis, you can get the right prognosis. And one of the things that is going on in Mark seven and related to here is uh, if the diagnosis is I just need clean hands, then I'm going to wash my hands ceremonially before God and be clean. That would be the problem. But the problem is Jesus says, no, 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 your hearts are defiled. So it's, it's, it's not a defilement of hands. It's a defilement of heart. And cleaning my hands doesn't necessarily, mm -hmm. well, it can't mm -hmm. clean my heart. 
And so this is Paul's version of that concept that Jesus is talking about. But me and my oldest daughter were talking about this yesterday. And I said the difference, or she said the difference between, you know, what you, the distinction you're drawing is these elementary principles of the world and then knowing and being known by God is the first one, you don't need relationship. Mm-hmm. You don't have relationship. You're in a relationship to um, something that you've projected that will guarantee security. So it's a, it's a your relationship to performance. You're not in a real live relationship with God or another person, and it's you don't. It's a one way street. You don't need God or another person. Um, you are the God, and mm-hmm. uh, but you're a cruel one because if you don't keep the rules. And something goes wrong, you know, you, you judge yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but this other this other idea, you know, of knowing God and being known by God, well, let's say it this way, relationship, being in relationship with the living God is probably in some sense terrifying mm-hmm. because I admit that he sees me and knows me and knows the inclinations of my heart and not just in a sinful way, but in a you know, a desiring way, like, who am I and what do I long to do and be? And, um, it's, it's intimacy. And I Mm. think because of we live east of Eden and our defense mechanisms are most often up rather than down, then our first inclination is probably to reject intimacy Mm -hmm. for a much more controlled, um, uh, environment. And there's vulnerability there. Now God knows me and he invites me to know him, but it's not just between me and God. It's now in this community where God knows me through other people and I know God through other people. And whew, that's just very risky. Yeah. 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 That's really good. I think that is, uh, I hadn't really thought about that comparison in that way, but, uh, yeah, Jesus has lots of language. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount basically is, you hear these things, do this external or avoid this external thing. And I'm telling you, the real issue is in your heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't, by action, do anything transformative. It has to happen in your heart. That's where sin is. That's where your fallenness is. That's where transformation is. And actions flow out of that. Uh, and so it actually just, yeah, it reverses the whole equation. Because kind of what we're saying is if I practice the right things, I guess my heart will change at some point. And that's one of the things Paul says. It's just worthless. And he says that in Galatians. It has no value in doing that. And what Jesus is saying is, if I transform your heart truly, eventually your that transformation will flow outward and people will begin to see it in some way and you'll be salt and you'll be light in a way that you can't make happen, in, in a way that reflects results flows out of this relationship that you have with God, with the living God. The spirit of God is in you, transforming you. And you can have that or you can just try to keep the rules. You mm-hmm. just you can't you can't do both. And the the first one can transform you. And it's God transforming you and God changing your heart. And people seeing Christ in you because Christ is in you. Uh, and the second one is just a performance thing. And like you said, you don't really need a relationship with God if you're just keeping the rules. I mean, what good is, I mean, what, how is God helping you there? Yeah, you're trying to keep God happy. And there's some part of that where 
I think just the, the nature of our fallenness is this whole transformation and God, you know, invading my heart and knowing everything. And uh, that's, yeah, that's scary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if it's true that I can just keep some rules, well, then I, I would prefer that. Um, and <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> absolutely and, right. If I could just keep a few rules, that's obviously way better. Cause I can just kind of be my own person, be in charge of my life. I keep some rules. And the tragedy is, I think there's a lot of people in the church that are trying to take that deal. And that's why these passages, you know, the passage of Jesus and, you know, transformation of your heart, the passage of Colossians, the passage here in Galatians. They're there for us because we can do the same thing where we can, you know, it's not like we're going to go back to try to keep the Old Testament law, but an analogous thing is our behavior dictates who's good and who's bad. I know who I am and I know other people based on their outward behavior, by their rule keeping, and so on and so on and so on. And there's just something about that that's super tempting and that we want to keep falling back. And, and without the transformation that the Spirit brings to our hearts, we will keep falling back. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I, just, I mean, you know, even if it's not, I think it's tricky, and there's forms of self-deception here, so we have to really be ruthlessly honest with ourselves and ask for the Spirit to bring enlightenment here. But you kind of have to ask yourself, okay, and how do I do this? Maybe it's not, yeah. you know, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't do that, that's maybe not a good starting place. The starting place is, yeah. okay, if this is such a strong thing that Jesus has to continually oppose it, it's evident in the New Testament letters, It's let's just don't pretend that we've risen above it. Uh, it's yeah. probably a work in us somewhere. So what is my magic formula? One way to say it is, yeah. what is my magic formula for controlling God? Yeah. You know, or controlling my life? Um, yeah. You know, is is it my routine? Even you know, I'm not. You say I'm not super religious. Okay, well, what's your routine? If you get out of routine, is the one thing we do because we think if we don't do it, bad things are going to happen. Yeah. And when I get out of routine, I'm like, oh no, I didn't do my routine today. You know, some mm -hmm. something bad is going to happen. Or what is it that we tend to try to control with our external yeah. behavior and environment? Yeah. How does this principle manifest itself in me? Uh... And what does that look like in me? And I'm probably blind to some of it. Um, uh, all right, one more thing. I kind of want to, one more little thing that, you know, where he says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. And that, you know, the, the sense is that these Judaizers are coming in and they're, you know, by flattery, by whatever, that, that the Galatians are being manipulated, that yeah, they make yeah. much of you, but for no good purpose. And it seems like almost a culture war sort of, you know, relationship where we recruit people to our side. And in doing so, we, you know, we make our side more attractive. You know, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. Uh, you know, <laughs> And I don't, I mean, it's just, a, it's a phrase that sort of fascinates me, especially in our, in our present context where, you know, there's this sense of we are the good people and come join us, yeah. uh, come join our side, come join our team. And in the process, we'll oppose the bad people. Um, 
I don't know, that's, that, that phrase resonated with me in some way that seems to apply to our present moment. They make much of you, but for no good purpose in the sense of being manipulated in a, in a culture war sort of setting. I don't know, what do you think of that? Well, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I tend to think, you know, flattery lacks integrity. So, but, but, but the reason flattery is spoken against often even in Proverbs is because it works. Yeah. That, that's what Paul's saying. Yeah. It works here. Yeah. You know, they make much yeah. of you, but they're manipulating you. And, and part of you maybe likes it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, I, yeah, well, you build up my ego and you give me some affirmations, some strokes makes that's that's great. And then what do I need to do to keep, to keep getting that? Mm-hmm. What yeah. isn't at the beginning of Galatians that Paul talks about people pleasing? Yeah. If I was just here to please people, then, you know, I'm not here to please God. So maybe there's that, you know, spirit dynamic at work here. But yeah, um, you know, you're, you could probably more accurately speak to the current culture war, but I do think there's, (laughs) Paul's frustrated because um, this flattery is causing you guys to be led astray. Yeah, there's this, I mean, you know, tying the two things together, we've been talking that the sense of make me feel good. Uh, and give me some safe and secure box to live in, you know, by rules and by flattery. By recruiting to our side, we define our side by the certain set of behaviors or rules, uh, or even ascribing to a certain set of beliefs. Uh, and let's make our side feel good about being on our side. And, you know, by contrast, you know, that we know the other side doesn't deserve such flattery. And it's their sense of it's a side taking this dividing uh, that is so prominent in our in our culture now that we you know we praise our side of the culture war uncritically and we criticize the other side of the culture war uncritically mm-hmm. and in a sense this sort of culture war can play out in our church between you know people who are are you know being transformed and people who are who are rule keeping. Uh, and in a, in a sense, you know, here the rule keepers are being recruited and reinforced and manipulated uh, as opposed to the people being transformed who are the other, the bad, the scary people, you know, whatever. Um, and again, I think there's some sense in which that is inflicted on us always. And sometimes there's a certain set of legalism that goes with politi- political, cultural positions that good people agree with me on X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and we might not say it, but by implication, the bad people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's another thing that appeals to us, the safety and security of the rules, the control, that they, the illusion of control that they appear to, and then this sense of side-taking and reinforcing our side against the other side. All of that is stuff that we're all subject to in some way, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's, I mean, I think that's another thing that we can ask ourselves, how is that happening in me? Um, and against all of this, you know, as we kind of begin to think about coming to a close, Paul is saying, compared to all of that, you're now children. You've been adopted into the family. You're known you, you you know God 
personally or you're and or you're known by god personally and that's the choice you know to live as a child and an heir in the family of god in relationship with god and the spirit of god transforming you or side taking rule keeping you know box defining world and that second world we have to admit to ourselves is really attractive to us and if we're not trying to avoid it we'll tend to slide into it uh and so that's part of the tension that we live in um, it's, it's so uh, it's fear fear or love it's fear or love that's a good it's, way of that's what i saying. think yeah it's you know we're, a slaver we're in a child is fear or love. slaver child fear or love right so we're in a transformative relationship of love and trust or we're sort of slave fear rule keeping uh and you know that's our choice and so, you know, uh, we have to kind of remind ourselves through spiritual practices and such to choose the first one and avoid the second one. So with that, let's, uh, let's close this episode and, uh, you know, remind us that for those who have come to know Christ, that we are children or heirs. The spirit of his, of his son is in our hearts transforming us so we can cry out of father. And that's the life that we're destined for. And so in that, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks. Be sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen and on our YouTube channel. Just search Rogue Table Talks.